Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. We're very thankful for your presence and thankful again for just an, a great opportunity to fellowship one with another and be in the presence of God and to worship Him, to sing songs. It's just a, the best day of the week by far is to be here with God's people. If you're visiting, let me offer my welcome as well. We're very thankful that you've come to be with us this morning. And we hope that you'll stay around just a few minutes. We'd love to get to meet you, even contact you, and hopefully have you back. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to come back and be with us again. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 John chapter 4 as we began this morning. And while you're turning there, I'll remind you that we're in the midst of a series of thoughts on the image of God and what it means. And last week, we talked about the fact that having God's image means you are good enough. Um, our whole world will teach us all one way or another we're not good enough and we'll spend a decent amount of our lives trying to be better <laughs> for whatever the world says and uh, we'll eventually learn it's a waste of time and we'll get right back here to the very point that God said at the very beginning you have his image and so you're good enough God justifies you we talked about that last week and that's part of the same thought you go around feeling like you have to justify yourself you have to tell people what you are what you aren't what you do what you don't do what you have what you don't have to make yourself feel good and for them to feel good about you well you don't actually have to do that it's God who justifies not us and thirdly we talked about the fact that you have intrinsic worth not value that's different that fluctuates it's really based on the market of what somebody's willing to pay worth however does not change and jesus says your worth is worth every other creative thing and that's still not enough matthew 16 26 if you could gain the whole world and lost your soul you would lose out you would not have enough to equal the worth of your soul with every other physical possession and that brings us to our thought this morning and as we continue down these different thoughts we come to this one and that is that God's image means God loves you and John talks about God and his love and so as we go through the material this morning I hope you'll keep in your mind that we are talking about God we're not talking about you actually you're the recipient of who God is and so our focus this morning is on him so let's let the discussion be about God it's his love after all we're talking about and in first John John talks about God and he talks about love quite a bit and in chapter 4 is where we'll focus this morning briefly verses 7 down to verse number 10 and John says several things here about God and about his love number one among them is God's love is the motivation for our love and so it would take another sermon another day and we'll get to it eventually where we talk about how God loves in us moves us to love ourselves and our fellow man that's the way it's supposed to work and so I'll remind you that when you come to a truth in Scripture live that truth doesn't matter what you thought prior to that but if you come to an understanding in the Scripture and the Scripture teaches a particular thing is true, then your task and goal as God's child is to take that truth and live it out in your life. And so God loves you. And John says the motivation for love is that. Notice that he says in the first part of verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Why would we do that? The second half, for God is love. Love is from God. That's why we would do that. We love one another because love's from God. And so John will say in this book, chapter 3, let us love one another, not as Cain, 
who was of the evil one and slew his brother. Let's not love like that. John will also say, let's not love in word, but in deed and in truth. In other words, the motivation for love finds its origin in God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Secondly, the second half of verse number seven, God's love is the basis, he says, of the new birth and our knowledge of God. How do you know that you know God? Here's what John would say. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's in harmony with God to love. And it's like God to love. In fact, you would learn it from him. That knowledge would be what you would use then to be born into Christ as well as that's how you know God. John says if you love, you're born of God, you know God. Of course, the opposite would be true if we didn't. Thirdly, he says, God's love is the determination of love. In verse number eight, the first part, he says, the one who does not love does not know God. It's incompatible with God not to love. And so, as he does in chapter one, he says, if you walk in darkness and you say you have fellowship with God, then you're a liar. That's dishonest because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He does the same thing here. If you say you love and you don't love your brother, you don't live it out. John says, you don't know God. The reason is in the second part of verse number eight, where John says God is actually the definition of love. He says, for God is love. It's noteworthy that John does not say here that God gives love. Isn't that what he says? He says God is love. And so what we'll talk about is God and his love. And I hope you'll hold in your mind that thought, that God is love. Before we get there, let's ask the question, so how do we get it wrong? Where do we go wrong with God and his love? Like most things, I think it starts in the beginning. I believe we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and that would be the genesis of our problems. When we read in Genesis chapter 3 about Adam and Eve and about sin and about Satan and about temptation, we eventually get to the place where God puts them out of the garden. And so as a result of that, we leave the garden generally with thoughts of God being mean and punitive. And that's kind of how we leave the garden, that God is a God of judgment and harshness, and he put them out of the garden. And as a result of that, we kind of develop a concept about love. And maybe that's not where it begins. Maybe it begins in childhood or some other place. I don't know. But eventually, it seems to work eventually to the same place. And it boils down to something like this. When I do well, when I obey, then I'm loved. When I do bad, when I disobey, well, then I'm not loved. And maybe this is reinforced by treatment from various relationships. Maybe it's, again, the idea that growing up, our parents seem to favor us when we do good, when we, we follow the rules, we do the chores, we, we bring home good grades, they smile all the time, they embrace us, they may even use the phrase, I love you, I'm so proud of you, you did a great job. And then on the other hand, when we don't do so well, and we don't bring home the good grades, and we leave the chores undone, maybe we hear them yell, maybe we hear them, uh, 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 maybe we see them sad and 
forlorn. Maybe they seem to be putting up with us and disappointed in us. And maybe over time, we develop this concept of love that goes like that. Boy, when I do good, they sure love me. When I don't do so good, they sure don't love me. Maybe it's reinforced at school. Maybe it's reinforced in relationships. And maybe by the time we get to trying to figure out whether or not God loves us, many of his children began to wonder if he does. May I suggest to you this morning that that is very wrong and unfortunate. And let's study the Bible then to find out what's right. When we're talking about learning love, we're talking about learning God. Because John says God is love. If we learn God then, we can learn what love is. So let's begin there. If you have your Bibles, look at Exodus chapter 34. I hope you'll appreciate the importance of these passages. I know we've read them once, twice, or 300 times. I don't know. feel like I read them very often. Uh, it's not that they're any more important than any other passages in the Bible. It's just rare. There are some rare passages. What do you mean? Well, this is God talking about himself. And typically, that's just not the case. Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, asked God to tell me who you are. He uses the expression, show me your glory. I want to know you. That's Moses' position. And in Exodus 33, God says, I'll do what you said. And in Exodus 34, God does it. He says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by before you, and I will proclaim my name. Please understand that the phrase, my name, stands for and is indicative of who God is, his essence, his character. I'll tell you who I am. Therefore, you and I don't have to guess about it. In Exodus chapter 34, in verse number 5, the Bible says, The Lord descended in the cloud. He stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. Here's what God said. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate or merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Uh, sometimes people read passages like that, and they see that last part, and then they just, just dismiss everything else they read. Well, God judges. God will not leave the guilty unpunished. He will punish. In fact, he says to third and fourth generation. See right there. And as a result of that, sometimes they have a poor definition of love. John says God is love. You and I should think of love as being multifaceted then. If love could be put in a box and that box could be described as love, it would have inside of it all of the things that God just said. It would have the mercy and the grace and the love and the justice. It would have it all. It would have the holiness. It would have everything that God is in it. God's character and God's actions are what love means. Because God is love, then what God does is consistent with being loving. So maybe the problem is we have a poor and wrong definition of love to begin with. Our definition may go something like this. Love is positive and feels good and does what I want it to do. 
And the truth is, that's never been the definition of love. Love never meant, I approve of you or your actions. Love never meant that. In fact, God loved Cain. Genesis chapter 4, in the first eight verses, you will see that God invites Cain and Abel into his presence to commune and sacrifice. God does that. God loves Cain, and yet Cain does the wrong thing, and the Bible says unto Cain and his offering, God didn't have regard. So then, does not having regard mean God didn't love him? No, just the opposite. God is love. And so love never meant, I approve of everything you do. Love never meant that. Love never meant, I don't judge you. Sometimes when people are judged, they conclude, you don't love me. Love never meant, I don't judge. How do I know that? Because God judged and God loved at the exact same time. John 3, 16, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Does God love the world? Yes. Will God judge the world? Yes. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has raised from the dead. And he's given evidence for it, Acts 17, 30 and 31. Has God judged the world? Absolutely. Did God love the world? Yes, God didn't start loving the world in John 3, 16. I would submit to you God loved the world in Genesis 6. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Every imagination of thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. It grieved God that his heart he had made man. And verse number 7, the end of all flesh has come before me. I will judge the world. What did God do? Verse number 8, but Noah found grace. Why did Noah find grace? Because God is love and because God wants the world saved. Who will he use to do it? Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Does God love? Yes. Will God judge? Yes, because love judges. It never meant if I love you, I don't judge you. It never meant that. God's the definition of love. And since God is love, then love judges. Love never meant I don't give you commands. Love never meant that. How do I know? Because God is love, and in Exodus 20, God gives commands. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. You can't serve other gods and serve me. That's God's position. The commands come from God. Where does the love come from? Same one. God is love and God gives commands. Therefore, it's never been the case that if someone gives commands, they don't love. It's never been the case. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 13, few people apparently read that verse because there Moses says, with reference to the law of Moses, he says, God gave that law for your good. That law was given from a place of love for their good, Moses says. Love never meant I don't judge you, and love never meant I don't discipline you. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12. Read it together with me. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5 and verse number 6. There the Hebrew writer says, you have forgotten the exhortation. If you go back up to verse 4, you will see he's talking about they're actually in the midst of persecution. And he says of them, you have not yet resisted unto the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. 
and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. I actually think that's the discipline he's talking about. God disciplines through reproof. That comes from the book of Proverbs where there is reproof and instruction. That's the discipline. I don't think it's proper for people to go around saying something bad happened in my life, God is punishing me. Something bad happened in my life, God is judging me. Something bad happened in my life, God is doing this to me. Number one, as we talked in the high school class this morning, how would you know that? The way to know God is revelation. You don't have any. So how would you know? There could be any number of reasons why that happened in your life. None of them have to do with God. So how would you know he does it? In fact, I think if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll see that God doesn't go around just punning his children randomly and for no good reason. In fact, this epistle is a word of exhortation. The reproof is discipline and instruction. But it never meant, I don't do that to you if I don't love you. Love never meant that. Since that's not what it means, what does the Scriptures teach about love? What it teaches is God is love. That's what it teaches. It teaches that God's love for you is about God and not you. That's what it teaches. We're not talking about humanity's love for one another. We are not talking about people who suffer trauma themselves and who are then troubled to give and to receive love. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people who manipulate other people under the guise of love, people who are narcissistic, self-consumed, self-absorbed, who operate under the guise of love, people who are codependent or some other issue, who use the word love and miss a, We're not talking about that. No, we're talking about God. And we're talking about God and His love, and He is perfect in every way, and He is love. Three things, then, you should know about God's love for you. Number one, God loved you before he made you. 1 John 4 and verse number 8, the Bible says God is love. Now, why is that important? Because that's not the only thing God is. You know what else the Scriptures teach God is? The Bible teaches that God is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 1 and verse number 2, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God doesn't have a beginning, and God doesn't have an end. And so, as a result of that, whatever God is, He's that eternally. And what John says is, God is love. Let me ask you this, when did He start being that? Go back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Let's see if we can find it out. In Genesis chapter 1, as you go through the days of creation, you, you know what they are, and you know the numbers, and as you move through, when we get to verse number 24 and 25, we're on day 6. And the Bible says in verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Stop with me there for just a moment. What hasn't been made? Better yet, who hasn't been made? Verse 26 and 27 is when God makes man. God said, let us make man in our image. Okay, we know. That's verse 26, verse 27. My question is this. What's God in verse 24 and 25? According to John, God is love. 
which means before verse 26 and 27, God is love. Go back a day. If we're on day six, what was God on day five? Go back a day if we're on day five. What was God on day four and three and two and one? In fact, go all the way back up to the beginning of the Bible and read the words, in the beginning God, and then take one step back before the beginning. And let me ask you this, what was God? I'll tell you exactly what he was. God is love. Before there was a beginning, God is love. Before there was a day one, two, three, four, five, God is love. Before there was a man on day six, God is love. What that means is God loved you before you were even here. Because God's love is not about you, it's about him. And as a result of God being love, he loved you before you could do anything to get him to love you. And so when you contemplate the love of God, you don't use you. This is the reason you don't go around saying, well, I, I act a certain way and God loves me. You don't do that. Your behavior doesn't determine God's love for you. Not about how much you do. Not about how good you are. It's not about what you do. In fact, you don't move God's love meter either direction because God is love. God was love before there was a man to love. Here is the point. You can't move God to love you because God loved you before you could move. God's love is about him and his character, not your behavior. God loved you before, but you may be able to relate to that. I wish you'd apply it to God. Are there any parents in this building this morning? <laughs> Let me ask you a question, parents. When did you start loving your children? Don't worry about it. I already know. It was probably right about the time they got potty trained. <laughs> you said, whoo, no more diapers. I love you so much. No more. That was it, right? You, you, did, you waited and you waited and you waited to give your love until Maybe you should go back a little bit. Eric, I will love my child. Okay, you probably waited until they stopped crawling and start walking. Nope. You, you probably wait. Oh, wait. No, I can go back. I can go back. I can go back. Eric, let me tell you something. That's what, when you get mad, that's what you say. You shake. Eric, let me tell you something. Uh, you probably loved your children when you first heard you were pregnant. You ever seen that shocked look on the husband's face? <gasps> really? Yes, you're going to be a dad. <gasps> Give him the smelling sauce. <laughs> Get him up. We're so happy. You know, let's pick colors. Let's pick, let's pick. Let me ask you a question. What can that child do to get you to love them? See, you love the child before the child could do anything to get you to love the child. And the Bible says you're God's offspring, and you share his image, and God is love, and so God loved you before. Number two, God loves you because. Because what? Because he made you. There isn't any other reason. Psalm 103 and verse number 3, the Bible says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Paul would say we are his offspring, Acts 17, 28. 
when God made the creation and finished it and crowned it with man and woman, at the end of the creation, Genesis 1.31, the Bible says this, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning. There was the sixth day. God loves you. For what reason? Because he made you. There is no other reason. There is nothing else you need. This is why you don't use physical stuff to start to try to determine if God, hey, I need to get taller. I need to get shorter. I need to do this. I need to do more of that. And then God will love me. He will not. He already loves you. You just don't know it. Maybe that's the way people treat each other. Maybe that's how you've experienced love. It's not from God, though. God loves you simply because he made you, not because you're so good. In fact, God is very protective of you. Those who share his image, Genesis 9 and verse number 6 says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God made he man. He's very protective of this image. Thirdly, God loves you when? Well, it's easy to see that he would love you before. Of course, you bring a brand new baby home. Of course you love the baby. Who wouldn't? You'd have to be something's wrong not to love a beautiful baby, girl or boy. Of course you would love I got you. And because the baby is ours, of course we love the baby and the little person and the, the teenager and the, okay. <laughs> but God loves you when? God loves you when you sin. God loves you. In fact, John 3 and verse number 16, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Let me ask you this. What's the state of the world? God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Well, the world certainly wasn't a good place. The world certainly wasn't a righteous place. The world certainly wasn't a holy place. And God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5 is that while we were yet sinners and ungodly, you should do a little research in the phrase and the word ungodly and what that means. It, 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 it follows down the thought pattern of being inhumane. You, you take a human being who has value and worth, rather, as, as God has defined it, and then you treat that human being less than, it's, than he's due or she's due. The humanity demands a certain level of treatment. Inhumanity, this is the line of thought. On a lesser level, lower level, it would be cruelty to animals. We even agree that animals have a certain regard they're due. And so if you dip below that and are cruel to animals, we'll, we'll prosecute you. We, we think animals deserve better. It's this line of thought that's ungodly. Work your way up. In, 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 in cruelty to animals, inhumane, and then ungodly. It's to take the character of God and treat it less than it's due. And Romans 5 and verse number 8 says, when we were that, ungodly sinners, God commended his love toward us. When does God love you? He loves you when you're a sinner. God doesn't love sin, but he loves you. Somebody hearing that might say, well, Eric, that sure sounds strange. Let me, okay, if it does, let me just ask you this. You know that little baby we brought home and you loved before? Grew up to be a, a, a teenager and you loved because? Grew up to be a young adult, maybe still teenager, young adult, 
and they absolutely looked you in your face and said, I don't want your life. I don't want your things. I don't want your God. I don't want nothing to do with you. In fact, I'm out. And they left your house. Let me ask you a question. It's at that point that you stopped loving them, right? I mean, you saw this coming. You were working on it. You stood in front of them. You begged them. You pleaded with them. You talked to them. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds just like the prophets. And when they made their decision to leave your house, you had no choice. You couldn't restrain them, and so they left. But I know what you did. You went over to the kitchen sink, and you said, I don't care nothing about that human being. They want to leave. I just don't have No. It was likely they grieved you at your heart. Likely you cried a river of tears. Likely you reached out to them and wondered where they were, tried to contact them. Maybe stayed up at night, talked to your spouse, prayed for them. I can guarantee you this, you didn't stop loving them. Where did you get such a disposition? You read Luke chapter 15, walk with me. When did he stop loving them? The boy was in the father's house. Give me my things. Here you go. Packed up his stuff, went to the far country. Did he love him at home? Yes. He went into the far country and wasted everything. Did he love him in the pig's pen? Yes. He got out of the pig pen and came home. Did he love him when he returned? God is love. Now, you'll remember, love never meant I approve of everything you do. Love never meant I don't have rules and commands. Love never meant I don't judge. Love never meant that I won't hold you. Love never meant that because God is love, but he never stops loving you. Now, I'm going to ask you, don't make, don't come to worship services. Don't come to hear don't just come to hear. Let me say it that way. If you have a day in your life up to this point where I've wondered whether or not God loves me, I struggle from day to day in my life wondering, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Does he love me? And then you come, open up God's word, and you hear and read God is love, and he's that eternally for you, and he's never been anything else. Please don't wake up Monday wondering if God loves you. Amen. No, you got to stop that and live the truth. When you learn the truth, you live the truth, and the truth makes you free. It sets you free at last. You get out of the worry, out of the concern, free from the bondage of doubt and wonder and sadness and loneliness, and you're free at last. You don't live it another day. Don't do that. Don't do that. Friends, it's not a, we're not coming for an academic exercise. We're coming to learn God, and when we learn him, we leave here, and we live that. In fact, God is screaming from cover to cover, I love you. What does creation tell us? God loves you. Every house is built by some man. He who built all things is God. He didn't make it in vain. He made it to be inhabited. 
He made of one nation all blood. Why? That they may seek the Lord and find him. He made creation, says, I love you. Christ says, God loves you. God so loved the world. He gave. Who did he give? His only begotten son. Paul would say in Romans 8, he didn't withhold him from us. Christ says, God loves you. The cross says, God loves you. 1 John 4 and verse number 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Read 1 John 3, 16. It will say that God in Christ, Christ dying for us evidences God's love. Christ loved us, died for us. God loved us, sent Christ. The cross says God loves you. Conversion says God loves you. You know, sometimes the reason human struggle is we don't let each other turn. You go down the path of life one way long enough, somebody will say, well, I'm just done with you. You're not good enough, I'm just done with you. How many times you got to mess up? On God's part, 70 times 7. On man's part, not even close. But you know what God will let you do? He'll let you turn around. In fact, the Apostle Paul would urge, let the goodness of God lead you to repentance. Romans chapter 2. The conversion process is God saying, I love you. Come home. The Corinthians did it. No, you're not. The, soul, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abuse themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we read those words and we say, look at all that bad stuff. You know what? You're not going to make it to heaven. Okay, fine. But let me ask you this. Why are they doing it? Why are they? We know what they're doing, but why are they doing it? Let me suggest this, that many people are reaching for those things to solve and fix the very problem of love that they're lacking. I'm trying to find love. That makes me feel better. I have these holes in me from my childhood, from my relationships, from this, from that, from rejection, from this, from this trauma, and I need something to feel better. So what do I do? I reach for this, I reach for this, and for a moment, it soothes me, it settles me, it calms me, makes me feel better. I feel good for just a little while. Eventually, it turns on you, and you stop using it, and it starts owning you. You know what God says, I'll let you out of that. What's your motivation? Listen, I love you. I'm not clean yet. I love you. You see what I'm doing down here? I love you. In fact, if you will, I'll love you there, and I'll love you to come home to me. Amen. And I'll wash you and cleanse you, sanctify you, justify you. I'll give you a new life. What if everybody knew they could be loved by God? You think they'd come back home? You think people would give that up for the love of God? What if there was someone who would love you unconditionally? What if there was someone who would love you without limit? Somebody would love you based on you. No more, no less, just you. That's God. Conversion says God loves you. The church says God loves you. In fact, God won't say, I want you to be a slave. God won't say, I want you to be a servant. God say, if you come to me, I'll make you my son. I love you so much. Come be a part of my family. You know the church is a group of people who were once that, who are now this. It's the reason that we have to make sure. We make sure that other people know you're welcome here. We have to make sure we make other people know, no, we want you in the family. 
He wants you to be a part of the family because God loves you and we have to love you and we want to love you because God loved us. And we were once in the exact same place and now we're here. You know how many Christians go around with the head hung low looking at other Christians thinking they don't want me? I don't know where they get these ideas. I don't know what they're using by way of metric and measure. Message is pretty clear. God loves you and you're his family if you're in Christ. Everybody belongs. Everybody can be part of God's family. What does the image of God mean? It means God loves you. Let me ask you this. As you go through your week this week, how will God's love for you impact your life? How will God's love for you determine how you treat yourself? Oh, I don't think that you should be puffed up with pride. I don't believe that. But I believe you should have the estimation of yourself that God holds of you. I, I believe you should have the understanding of how much worthy you are and where God puts you. I believe you should have that. As a result of that, it would be very contrary to keep speaking ill of yourself, to constantly tell yourself how belittled you are and how good for nothing you are and how you're not worth anything. That's wholly out of character with the image of God and what the Bible teaches. God loves you. Friends, it only makes sense to love what God loves, and God loves you. How will God's love for you impact your love for your brothers and sisters? You know, the church is a different place. It's a different group of people. It's not like the world. And inside of God's family, everybody's family. How will God's love for you impact how you treat your fellow man? You know, sometimes you hear a sermon like this, no matter what's said by the preacher, you still manage to find a way to fix it so he's talking about everybody but me. So let me suggest very plainly, I'm talking about you. God knows the number of hairs on your head. God knows you by name. And God loves you. Paul says that Christ came and died, that he lived by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So often when we think of the cross of Christ, we think about the fact that our sin sent him there. The scriptures will teach God sent him there because God loves you. The next time you think about the cross of Christ, think about the fact that it's his love for you that has him on that cross. You. Friends, if you're not a Christian this morning, we invite you to become one, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If this is your first time within the Lord's assembly, uh, we get to this part of the invitation or this part of the sermon where as we draw things to a close, we, we offer what we call an invitation. We call it an invitation because it's an opportunity within the service for you to come, and if you're desirous and willing to obey the gospel to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and so that's why the pool is here, and, and that's why all things are always ready, because that's what you'll find in the New Testament. And so this is that time. Maybe you've wondered about God's love for you, friends. He does. He loves you. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and repent of your sins. Change your heart, change your mind. Confess his name, Jesus' name. 
and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, and God through Christ will save you. If you are his child and you struggle with whether or not God loves you, please know, read, trust the scriptures. God loves you. Don't live another day, moment, hour, minute under the misnotion that God doesn't love you because he does. We're going to sing a song and we're going to stand. If you have any need, please come to the front and we'll do all that we can to assist in any way that we can as we stand and as we sing.